Good morning and welcome to Beacon Church's Sunday on the Sofa. So pleased you could join us as always. You're more than welcome. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 6. Um, before we do, um, just a quick heads up in case you're not already aware. We are planning to go back to Vibe in-person meetings from the 23rd of May in a couple of weeks time. Um, alternating with uh, at Vibe in person and then Zoom at Vibe in person and so on until the end of June when we're planning to be full-time back in person at Vibe on a Sunday morning. Um, we're putting lots of stuff in place, working out protocols and processes, policies, just to keep things safe, socially distanced and so on. And um, we do understand some people are, are um, an anxious about what it's going to look like, um, how they're going to feel on the day, uh, not only about uh, coronavirus, but also just about it's a bigger social setting that we haven't been used to. We understand that. We're going to try and make things easy. Um, and uh, there is there is a a value and a weight to being in person with God's people as we worship him together. Um, we understand where the reasons why people can't come initially. That's absolutely fine. That's not a guilt trip. Um, but there is value to being in person, isn't there? And we just want to honour that and do that well and do that carefully, sensitively as well. So we're, we're putting stuff together behind the scenes. More details are coming through on our midweek updates, as you may have already noticed. And if you're not receiving those and you'd like to, there's an email address coming up at the end of this actual video. Get in touch with us and we can subscribe you to that newsletter as well. So you're in the loop each week as to what's happening. Um, before I um, preach, I just want to read a verse from 1 Samuel chapter 15 that I was just dwelling on this morning. And uh, it is just appropriate to us as we sit under God's word in just a moment. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, in verse 22, uh, the prophet Samuel is, well, he's effectively, he's tearing a strip off King Saul <clears throat> for the man's uh, wonky heart, shall we say, to put it mildly. Um, but he says this, and this is very poignant. He says, Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. They were still living under the law at the time, and there was a requirement, an appropriate requirement to sacrifices, meat sacrifices, and yet even there, the, the point behind it all with is, is about obedience to the voice of the Lord. And the same for us today as we hear God's word. To listen is more important and then to obey. May we be a people who listen. May we be a people who hear. And therefore, may we be a people who obey. It's about giving our lives over to the living one who gives life and knows what's best for us, that he might receive the glory and not us. It's as simple as that. So let me just pray for us with that in mind. Uh, Lord, we come before you once again. And as we hear from your word, Lord, may we be that people, your people who do listen. May we, we open our ears, may you open our ears. But may we not just listen to the words, may we hear the message as well. May we hear your heart, may we pay attention and notice what it is you're saying. And Lord, will you give us the ability to step forward in obedience. May you speak to us about what we need to do, but may we, you give us the wherewithal to to step forward and to do what you're asking of us as well we want to be an obedient people who point to you in our actions as well as our words so will you help us to do that by holy spirit we pray in jesus name amen amen so 
We're going to come to Luke chapter 6. Now we're still working through our Luke series. And we're coming to a moment when Jesus, he um, he's coming to a time of transition in terms of um, how he's acting out and working out his mission here on earth, his ministry, and how to enact that through other people as well. Um, as the people of God, whenever things get difficult, when it feels like pressures are closing in or change is coming when the, you know when the ground feels less unstable or you know it's just time to move on you're getting too comfortable and God's calling you to something else when when change is afoot whatever the factors times of transition are things that we all face at different points in our lives and that obviously they can be walked through well or they can be walked through not so well and it's when we're in the thick of it that's when we can often have a tendency to panic or of just simply forget the truths that anchor us in him to walk it well in the first place. And so this morning, our, our passage, while on the surface it seems quite small and passing, it's just a clutch of verses that just mentions a few names. But actually, underneath it all, it teaches us two main truths about God and about ourselves that help us massively when it comes to this kind of topic. And, and both of these truths about God and about ourselves are actually about our dependency on him and they are things to not forget when we are in times of transition and the best time to remember it is now when you're not there and if you are there <laughs> it's never too late to learn is it and so in this moment we see a time of transition is approaching for Jesus and his followers Jesus he sees the road ahead and he knows it's time to raise up and to release others to continue the mission because things are already getting heated um, while Jesus has genuinely caused wonder and amazement and joy among many people, we've also seen that he's stirred anger and even hatred amongst others, simply because of what he's done and who he is. And in even the final verse of last week's passage that Pete Zabitsky brought to us, it, it tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees, threatened by Jesus' influence and power, it says they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus they begin making plans to take him out of the picture now Jesus he, he knows where things are headed ultimately as, as we get to read later on he, he will be taken he will be tortured he will be killed but then magnificently rise from the dead and ascend to his heavenly throne to reveal and prove who really holds the winning hand but here right now in this moment this is a key defining moment when Jesus knowing what's coming he brings physical shape to his mission strategy. He's going to hand over the physical care and future multiplication of his people to his people. How does he do that? Well, we're going to read from uh, it's Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. And Bev Cook's going to read those verses to us. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Thank you, Bev. Well, it's just a few short verses, isn't it? And it, it just feels like the revealing of a Saturday afternoon's football team, uh, as it appears on the surface. But there is actually far more here that helps us 
in our walk through Seasons of Many Kinds, because here we discover more about and learn from Jesus in his humanity, Jesus as a man, and we also can take a lesson by looking at the men that he chooses too. And I just want to look at those two things. Look at Jesus the man. He is God. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. I just want to look at his humanity here for a moment and learn from that. Um, and then we're going to look at the men. The man and then the men. So first of all, the man, Jesus himself. Because he's got this time coming that the other people's certain parties are filled with fury and pressures are closing in what does Jesus do he's got a big decision to make and so what does he do first of all he prays all night um, Luke the writer of this gospel he connects many important events in Jesus's life with his prayer life he puts them together many times throughout his gospel is clearly a priority and a passion in Jesus that never fades but this is the first time that it's detailed as, as an all-nighter though and I just got to think, I mean, to stay awake all night and pray like this is something that I, I would struggle with. And the amount of times I've fallen asleep while praying is horrendous. And I know I'm not alone in that. For many of us, actually, lying awake worrying about something all night can seem more possible or more likely than praying all night. That's, that's, that's not to induce guilt, but it's certainly a helpful revelation to me. But then... My natural inclination could be to say, well, it's, it's Jesus, it's God. Of course he can do that. Um, and we can move on quickly, hoping no one's noticed. Oh, it's, that's Jesus, though. But actually, in his humanity, Jesus did get tired. In John chapter 4, verse 6, it says that Jesus was tired from his journeying. And in Mark chapter 4, we see he, he sleeps through a violent storm. Matthew chapter 14 verse 13 says that when Jesus heard about his second cousin's horrid execution, he withdraws to a quiet place to be alone. You know, Jesus, the God-man, he was not impervious to fatigue. He did not have infinite energy, but he, he did get physically and emotionally drained. And so therefore, the point here is, is, is one to be grasped that Jesus valued prayer beyond his own comfort. Even when it comes to the few disciples, though, who were with him in the garden at Gethsemane, a couple of years later, you see Peter, James and John uh, are with Jesus in the garden just prior to his arrest. And we see that Jesus prays through the night, but the other three, they keep falling asleep. You can see this story in Mark chapter 14, in verse 34, Jesus says, remain here and watch. And then just three verses later, it's like, Peter, are you asleep? Could, could, could you not watch one hour? And then he finds they do it again later, twice more, in fact. And then, even then, seeing their bleary eyes, he doesn't shout at them. Like, I told you to stay awake, what are you doing? No, he just lowers the bar so graciously and he goes, just just an hour? And I can ask the question, can I not watch or pray for one hour? I've learned that the more I do pray, the more I receive confidence the more I receive resilience, the more I receive guidance and the ability to make difficult choices, the more Holy Spirit goes before me in conversations and proves to have done most of the legwork long before I get there. The more I pray, the more I know Jesus, the more I know Father's heart, the more attuned I am to God's purposes, which will always be better 
rather than expecting him to jump on my bandwagon instead. Things change, and he changes me in the process. And Jesus here, in his human form, he's doing exactly that. He's ensuring that he's in step with and being strengthened by his Father's plans and purposes. I mean, in fact, he, he's simply continuing what he's always known. Ongoing, eternal communion, perfect partnership with Father and Spirit. It's what he's always known, and more importantly, therefore, it's simply a natural outworking of who he is. And if you remember, a couple of months ago, I spoke about prayer is less about what we do, actually, and it's more about who we are as God's people. This is the privilege of what we get to enjoy, ongoing communion with the Father. And so Jesus here, before he makes this momentous decision in choosing his team, the first thing he does is devote himself to prayer before he does anything else. And in his humanity, he is fully dependent on the Father for whatever he needs to pursue or achieve. And his prayer life reflects that. So the principle for us then it is not actually, well, could I stay awake all night and pray? But actually, the more helpful question in the immediate is just how committed am I to prayer over my own comfort? Just how much is prayer a priority in my day? Or particularly when I'm in a place that is difficult or I need to make a difficult choice. Do I then bury my head in the sand? Do I panic? Or do I just lift my eyes to him and not just fleetingly? Jesus, in his humanity, he demonstrates this divine model for someone living amidst huge pressures and decisions to make. Not jumping in to fix them or immediately do stuff or things need to get done. But instead he prays at length first and foremost there's a lesson for us all so that's having looked at Jesus the man let's look at the men that he then chooses because there's a great lesson here for us as well because Jesus after prayer he selects these 12 men from among his followers and specifically names them apostles now that word apostle it simply means one one that is sent so I mean these these men they won't be gathered for the sake of making a cuddly Jedi Council or to bunker down in the face of looming threats come on we're going to be this closed little rabble no it's, it's to go they are, they are the ones who are sent They're to go and they are to sacrifice and they are to give of themselves for the sake of more now these 12 men they are a pick and mix bunch of wildly different characters at best they are not your obvious leaders to entrust your family to but Jesus prayerfully knows what's at stake and therefore who to commission and just for the rest of our time we're just going to look at each of those very briefly we're limited in in time but just going to look at each of these names and just learn from this wild bunch if you like let's look at each of them briefly because you got first of all for example you got simon peter now this guy i love him he he's gobby <laughs> he's hot-headed he flits he flits from devotion to compromise in a breath he does that more than once and yet he is cherished by Jesus and he is chosen for the precious task of actually leading this team for a, for a season and despite Peter's inad inadequacies Jesus has much in store for his development his character to grow his maturity and ultimately his his being used to impact thousands for eternity Jesus is much in store for this guy who is not an obvious choice. Then we've got um, Peter's brother, Andrew. 
This is his younger brother. Andrew, in fact, is the uh, first disciple uh, to be called in the first place. And he's quite often, he's overshadowed by his louder, older brother, Peter. But he proves to be quietly thoughtful and he's a guy who's seeking after the right thing. He's a guy who spots individuals. And in fact, he's the one who, who brought his impetuous older brother to Jesus in the first place. He's a very different character to Peter already. Um, by all accounts, he's lovely. He, he, according to the historical accounts, he, he continued to implore passers-by to turn to Jesus while he hung dying on his own cross for two days. That's Andrew. Andrew is a people person. And Jesus used that immensely for the gospel. So just those two guys. We've got wildly contrasting characters already. Uh, then we get another set of brothers that get mentioned, James and John. They are uh, known in the Gospels as the Sons of Thunder. This isn't because of some digestive disorder. This is because of their personalities. They are equally loud-mouthed and gobby like Peter in, in well equally but in a different way it's fascinating that these two the sons of thunder and loudmouth peter they are the three to comprise jesus's closest circle jesus saw beyond their gobby noise and he spied men he could do great things through um, jesus his um, sorry excuse me james his passion for all its downsides paid off in bucket loads so much that when the disciples later on, they so enraged Herod that he, he James, was the first to be killed. He was the first one to be picked out, which says a lot about his passion and, and his mouth for Jesus. Yet by he, all accounts, historically, even at his testimony, at his trial, uh, we learn that his, his accuser was so moved by James's testimony that the man, that man too turned to Christ and was willingly executed alongside him. It's the power of his testimony and his brother John we've, we've all heard of isn't he? he's famous he's Jesus's best friend on earth and his gospel the gospel of John and his, his letters we see later on in the New Testament they are a clear testament to a love that is so observed and so deeply ingrained by walking alongside Jesus and there's a key he, he became known throughout history as the apostle of love so that's two sets of brothers. And we come to some more names as well. There's Philip. Um, Philip comes across as a facts and figures guy. He, he's quite practical. He's quite interested in the finer details. He's a lover of processes. In many ways, he's, he, he's a very contrasting balance to the other loudmouth guys I've, I've, I've just mentioned. Um, that's Philip. Very, very different character. And we've got Bartholomew. He's a man who knew the scriptures. But he also easily leans towards, certainly initially, towards prejudice. He's the guy who's famous for saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's him, that's Bartholomew. But his heart gets softened when he meets Jesus. Bartholomew's path was to be one who knew scripture but didn't know the Christ until he met him and everything changed. What a wonderful story. Then we've got Levi also known as Matthew, that um, uh, Bob didn't just um, preach about a couple of weeks ago. He, he embodied, he stepped into Levi's shoes, didn't he? Levi, Matthew, he was a publican, this, this tax collector. He, he, he leaned towards extortion um, in his previous life to line his own pockets until Jesus comes along. And instead of Matthew being on the take, he becomes a man of generous spirit. 
Matthew turns from materialism to mission in an instant because he met with Jesus. And he gets drawn into this this 12. And they've got Thomas, famous for being the doubter, doubting Thomas. Thomas is a natural pessimist. He's always assuming the worst, uh, not just about Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus can't be can't have risen from the dead. I'll only believe it if I can touch those wounds. But not just about that, he's a pessimist about many other things, including earlier on when it comes to their inevitable fate. We, well, let's, we, let's just follow Jesus and die with him then. It's going to happen anyway. I mean, that does prove true later on. But this pessimism of his is actually driven and it's matched by his passion. His devotion to Jesus far outweighed his fear of where all this might lead. It's like, Jesus is terrifying, but I'm with you. I don't want to go anywhere you're not. I love it. Next guy on the list is James, known as the son of Alpheus, to pick him out from another James. We, we don't know a lot about him, other than that he's possibly Levi's brother. We do know that his mum was a disciple of Jesus herself. She's part of the wider circle. Um, regardless, here in James, this is a man who is otherwise lost in history, but nonetheless placed in Jesus' honoured circle, and who therefore serves in obscurity to Jesus' glory and commendation. And there's a lesson for us all in him even if we don't know anything more about him there's a lot to learn there but the delight of serving in obscurity for Jesus's sake next on the list is Simon the Zealot now this guy he provides a stunning attention to Levi um, Levi once collected monies for the Romans Simon the Zealot by name that teaches us he once fought to overthrow the Romans he was a zealot he wanted them out so you got Levi Matthew once collecting monies for the Romans, Simon the Zealot once fought to overthrow him. Together, though, once enemies, they are united in Christ. And here they are on Jesus' leadership team. And then we come to the final two of the two Judases. The first one is Judas, son of James. He's not to be confused with the other Judas, which is why they, they describe him as such. Bless him. No, I'm the other one. Um, he is also known elsewhere as, as Thaddeus or Lebeus to help matters. And both of these nicknames, it almost, the, the words like heart child, that they describe his nature. Those nicknames tell us he was a heartfelt, softer, kind of sensitive man. Um, and when he, we see he does speak up, he, he's gentle and wide-eyed. He, he's eager to learn and he's eager to follow. He's got a lovely, lovely nature. That's Judas, son of James. And then finally, there is Judas Iscariot. Now this guy is embedded in history, famous as the one to betray Jesus and then take his own life. And so we can see actually the beginnings of discord and betrayal were already present right from the start in Jesus' team. Now we need to note therefore, this guy was chosen after Jesus' full night of prayer. So did Jesus get it wrong? Did the prayers not work? Well, no, because Father knew what shape the team needed to be, not simply in order to create what we'd consider to be a dream team, what's perfect on paper, but in order to fulfill God's purposes, which is very, very different. And so for us, we can learn that while we may not fully understand what God is calling us into whenever we pray earnestly and we do receive an answer, it may not always make immediate sense. Um, but that's the point. Prayer submits us to him, the one who knows far more than we ever can, as opposed to the other way around. So, here are 12 very ordinary men 
commissioned to be the fathers of Jesus's earthly family. And I'm sure you can relate in particular to one or more of these characters. Um, maybe there's some you cannot relate to at all. That's, that's appropriate. They're, they're wildly, wildly different to each other, aren't they? But we need to note that there are no rabbis here. There are no scholars. There are no um, professional leaders, no experts. They're not selected via interview process or aptitude tests. They're just everyday folk like you and me, recruited initially by Jesus when he was on a lakeside walk or strolling through town. He says, follow me. And they follow him and they devote their lives to him. It's just in normal everyday moments. And then further here, they're commissioned on the back of prayer. These, these, they all started with grassroots beginnings and this all sprouts from relationship with Jesus and doing life together. And of all these 12 men, 10 of them will be executed, some very slowly, very horribly, for their faith in and efforts for Jesus. Uh, an 11th one, John, he'll be exiled for the very same reasons. And then the final one, Judas Iscariot, he will take his own life following a massive moral failure. All of them were ordinary. All of them were called. None of them had a cushy or comfortable road ahead. And in a world that was fraught with antagonism against God and filled with temptation, and it still is, here we see amongst these men how and how not to follow Jesus. There are many, many lessons in these guys' lives alone. Uh, I've run out of time to, to tell you much more about them, but you can go and find their stories. Go and read about them. There's a great book called uh, 12 Ordinary Men I can give you uh, details for that really helps open up their stories. Um, go and find out those lessons but um, Jesus took this wildly disparate somewhat ragtag bunch and he tasked them with what ultimately proves to be the biggest task on the planet being responsible for his beloved people now we're not all called to be apostles but they were specifically called to be fathers of the early church these guys but the principle that we can learn here is that behind their calling is something that applies for all of us across the church family that it's not about being staffed by experts who've accrued a long cv or qualifications it's not about some elitist self-serving circle it's about a family and it's about a community of ordinary people who are gifted and anointed in different ways by god to see that community grow and grow and grow and from this small number plus the other disciples around them at the time we now number in the billions Jesus, in communion with the Father, knew best, and it's the only template we should cling to and be encouraged by. As the phrase goes, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. It's never about our glory or how we can help God out with our skills. <laughs> no. It's about him gifting and entrusting us, and that's something to enjoy as we step into it with his help. So, those are the two lessons I just want us to finish with again. Just a reminder, firstly, prayer needs to be our first resort, just like Jesus. Um, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul also says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And that, continue steadfastly, that's one word in the Greek, and that is the strongest word available in the Greek language for commitment. 
be continue steadfastly be so so committed in prayer be watchful in it with thanksgiving now that's not simply a well we must try harder then now our encouragement in that is found in the gospel because when framed against the good news of what jesus has done and is doing for us we can then ask can i seek with his help to be strongly committed to prayer to the one who is infinitely committed to me and seen from that angle i think i can and so can you Let's ensure prayer is our priority over our comfort or convenience and let's seek his face in that. And secondly, just an encouragement in our ordinariness. We've looked at this list, this ragtag bunch of guys and for us too, in the same way, as weak and as ordinary as we may feel and in fact we are, we need to be encouraged by that, not discouraged. Paul again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 29 he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So let's be people who always turn to prayer first and foremost and who humbly revel in our ordinariness that he might do extraordinary things through us for his glory and not ours. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you take what isn't to shame what is and we clearly aren't, but you're working through us. Your Holy Spirit, you're at work in us and you dwell in us as your people. We thank you for that, Lord. We... we uh, humbly revel in our ordinariness because it points to one who is truly extraordinary that is you our living father in heaven we 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 celebrate you we thank you for what you've called us into help us to continue to step into what you're calling us into in terms of uh contributing contributing to church life and the community around us and more importantly pointing to jesus in everything we do lord help us to increasingly do that uh, in step with you through prayer help us to commit earnestly strongly to prayer in a way that is enabled by you in the first place and uh, help us to uh, uh, keep inviting you to work through us for the sake of the gospel for the sake of your glory and not for ours we pray in jesus name amen amen pray you have a blessed week songs as usual are attached to the video details to um, celebrate him through song and if you want to know any more, get any more, uh, get subscribed to the Midweek Updates. You want to talk to us about what it means to know this living God. We want us to pray for you, whatever it might be. There's an email address coming up in just a moment. We'd love to speak with you. Be blessed. Have a fantastic week. And uh, let's see what he does through us for his glory.